Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. Amen. Well, if you're new with us, thanks so much for joining us and connecting with us. If you're new watching, thank, appreciate you doing that, as we say all the time, because we believe it, um, that, and we know it's true that there are a lot of wonderful churches and a lot of great ministries in this area, and you could be connecting with one of those. And so thank you so much for connecting with us, and we pray that your time this morning helps you to be able to move forward in knowing God better and in trusting Him more. We're very passionate about that. We believe with our hearts that that is what this life in Christ is about, is daily um, growing in our relationship with God, to know Him and to trust Him, and that's where it all goes down. Um, if you're connecting with us here, um, just a reminder that are your prayer requests and any giving can be done in little baskets at, as you leave the space. Um, if you're doing that online, you'll, there's opportunities to do those same things online. And so here we are in uh, the uh, uh, fifth part of our series uh, where we're just looking at some of the classic stories. It's called Classics Volume 2. We did Volume 1 last year. And so this is an opportunity for us to just kind of look at some of the Old Testament sto- stories. As a church, uh, we spend the bulk of our time looking at the New Testament. We're looking at what Jesus has done. We're looking at the writings of Paul and, and the other early church fathers who, who things were sealed up in the scriptures for us to be able to live in, in what Jesus has accomplished um, but that is Jesus fulfilled what was prophesied and spoken about in the Old Testament. It's by no means put away or, or becomes uh, a second. Uh, but we do focus a ton of our attention. And so we like to take these times to look at some of these classic stories. And if you grew up in church, um, you grew up in Sunday school, this was your childhood, a lot of these things you know, living in a Christian culture, some of this stuff you just pick up with references and whatnot. And this story today that we're going to be looking at is one of the uh, ones that you learned if you were in kids' church or Sunday school. And we're going to be looking today about at Daniel and the lion's den, just that classic story of Daniel and the Lions. If you got your U version open or your Bible app open, you got your bulletin that was greeted you there on your row, we're going to go ahead and track along because the life of Daniel, it's guess what? Like we look every week, it's going to show us what it means to know God better and to trust Him more. And we've been jumping off with Hebrews chapter 11 uh, because these stories are part of this great cloud of witnesses that helps us to run the race God has for us. Hebrews 12, 1 says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Because there's stuff that will come along and be difficult for us to deal with. There are things we're going to have to persevere. There's things we're going to have to work through. There's things we're going we're to have to just lean into that aren't any fun to deal with at times, but that is what we're that is what we're going to do, and, and that's what we're doing right now as a nation. We're just persevering through this, and guess what? The scriptures give us some things to be able to lean into those great cloud of witnesses that help us to go before us. And before we get into Daniel and the lions, then you've got to have a little bit of understanding 
of who Daniel is. Daniel is one of the prophets of the Old Testament. Um, God spoke uh, through him and gave him visions about things that were going to take place in the future. And when, we, when you look at the, the fullness of Daniel, there's a bunch of it are some of the visions and some of the stuff. But when you look at Daniel 1.1, you jump right out of the gate. Daniel 1.1 starts with tragedy. It starts with tragedy right from the very beginning. We know that when we look at what Daniel has to say in Daniel's life, it is not from a place of having an ideal, perfect little life. Right from the beginning, it's not in your notes, but I'll read it to you. It says, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. He takes his armies and he comes to Jerusalem and he, they just take over. They come in, besiege it, they go in, they raid the temple, they take out all of the, the different elements of worship. The temple is, is overrun, their stuff is stolen, their people are now bec become slaves to the Babylonians. And this is not a cool thing. It's like a foreign country coming in and besieging and, and taking over Texas, taking over things. And all of a sudden now everything has shifted and Daniel it gets caught up in the middle of this. And then the king ordered a guy named Ashpenaz, the chief of the court officials, to go through and to handpick some of the most intelligent, capable people. He wants the best of the best serving in his royal court. He wants the best of the best serving there. Well, these are people who are now conquered. These are people who, they were, had a whole different life plan, and now this massive army comes in, takes over their country, and just takes them in. And now they're, they're, they're a dominated people, and then they go through and they pick these, these different people. And Daniel ends up getting noticed in all of this. One of the uh, qualifications was is, is they had to at least be well fit and, and good looking. They had to be good looking, intelligent people. They, didn't, they wanted the best of the best on every front to be able to serve. And Daniel gets pulled into this. Daniel and three of, three of his contemporaries, three of his buddies. And you'll, they, they end up having their names changed. And funny enough, Daniel gets referred to as, as his Hebrew name. But we know the other guys as their Chaldean name, their, their Babylonian name of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And Dave Levesque, our youth pastor, did a great job last time on the uh, Classics Volume 1 on covering that story. But here with Daniel, he gets taken in and he's given a new name. This new name is Belshazzar. And he's, his name means to protect the life of the king. So he gets dominated, and now he's been taken in and been put into service, and his name is changed, so everybody around him is calling him a new name. They're treating him like a pet, like they've gone down to, to, the, to the pound and found a good, healthy one, and we're going to take him home, and he's got a brand new name. They're treating him like an animal. And come in, and he's got to operate and respond to a new name. And his new name has all these implications that now he has to protect the life of the person that dominated him. The person that came and, and took away all their ability to worship God the way they wanted to worship God. 
killed who knows how many people in the besieging process. And now he has to come in and protect the life of this king. That's the name. Every time they call him, hey, protect the life of the king. Come over here and do this. Hey, protect the life of the king. Come over here and do that. And all of a sudden, in the middle of this, this is Daniel's life. And he is carried in to this place. But Daniel had a place where he just simply because of his relationship with God, he just could not dishonor his God, even among those who dishonored his God. If nobody else honored God, Daniel was going to honor God. And part of Daniel honoring God was the way he served and treated people. The way that he handled tasks that were given to him. And one of the very first things that we're going to see is out of Daniel's life is the way you serve today will set you up for tomorrow. The way we deal with and we handle today is going to set us up for tomorrow. The way you get things started is, man, it's just going to play a huge role. Remember years ago, I've told this story before. Um, that I was in about the fifth or sixth grade, and um, I was in a, a little church production there. And um, back in my day, ch- churches did little kid plays all the time. We don't do that much anymore, but I uh, had little kid plays. And so I was in this, this play, and uh, there's a, all of these practices, and there's a ton of downtime, and you're sitting in the back. And, and um, anyways, and so there was this one girl that went to school, I mean not to school, went to church with us, and um, I thought she was kind of cute, and so uh, I wanted to make sure that I looked as cool as I possibly could, and uh, my dad had had the, the Walkmans, everybody remember a Walkman, everybody back in the day remember a Walkman, uh, and so, and so we actually would uh, you stick a cassette in it, this thing, this big old clunk thing you had to fast forward and rewind, find your song, cue it up. And so um, those had just, uh, just kind of come out. And so our family, we, had, we didn't have the Sony Walkman, but we had something that was similar to it. And so I had taken that because part of the deal is that the cool guys would just have it all the time. You'd have it around your neck and have it on your hip, and it was more like even an accessory. You may not actually wear it. This was kind of the original flex, you know, that everybody kind of goes around with their AirPods in, whether they're listening to anything or not, and so they have that little, that little social flex there. Well, this was the original flex where you would put your, your uh, Walkman on. Um, the problem was is that... Um, our house was out of batteries at the time, and this Walkman um, had dead batteries. It didn't work. And so, but I wasn't so much worried about make, listening to music as I was about just, you know, completing the look. So I put it on, go to, go to church, and I'm sitting back there, and I, and I have this. And, of course, my sister knows it doesn't work. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm trying to get the attention of this person, I'm just sitting there and acting like a fool. And so for whatever reason, I'd already made one bad decision of putting on something that didn't work. And then that sets me up for the next bad decision, which is to take the headphones on and put them on. And then to begin to enjoy music that doesn't exist and just sit there. 
Well, then, of course, it does. It works. It gets the attention. And then this, this person decides that she, she wants to listen to some of the music, too. But there's no music there. So then I have to be a jerk and say, no. And, and so this is all blowing up in my face. And then my sister sees me sitting there playing like this and then tells me, Brandon, what are you doing? That, we don't even have batteries. And so and it just calls me out in front of everybody. And it's just... Oh, my sisters, they're, they're just the worst. <laughs> Standing on the side of truth. And uh, anyways, but there was this place that it was that my, the end result was a disaster waiting to happen because things got started wrong. When things get started wrong, it is a disaster just waiting to unfold. But the direct opposite is true you get things set up right you get things positioned right you get to handle today well it sets you up for tomorrow so far I've had the opportunity to, to walk through five kids getting their driver's license and one of the very first things you have to do you go through you make sure that all car works and before you even leave the DPS you've got a parallel park well, my first three kids had to parallel park a 1993 Mercury Grand Marquis. If you can parallel park a Mercury Grand Marquis, you can parallel park anything. And so we would sit there, and that's the car we had for them to drive. And so, um, and so and the, the, for whatever reason, it's like it barely fit between those little flags. And so we would practice over and over, the day before we, they had to go take their driver's test, we would go out there, we would set up, and I was like, okay, this is how you set up. You have to make sure that flag is right there at this point in, on the backside of your tire. You have, you have to be this far away from it. And we would practice setting up, and they'd loop back around and then go in and then understand, okay, you start to whip around. You want to see when this tree lines up right here with your steering wheel. Now you start to make your move. And man, we had cheat codes out the wazoo. I don't know that they could have parallel parked that thing anywhere else, but right there, they knew how to parallel park it at the DPS. We could, they mastered that. And so, but understood that it was, if we could get them started right, if we could get them positioned right, when they pulled up, if they got everything right, man, they had a great chance at making sure everything was gonna line up. But if they lined up wrong, it was shot. It was done before they even got started. And that is what we see from Daniel. The way we deal with today, it can, it can, it can set us up or it can set us down. We can either be ready to take our next step and the next thing God has for us, or it can actually put us on, okay, we've gotta go around this one one more time we got to go around one more time. And I can't tell you how many times we went around one more time in the DPS line. We'd be there at 9 o'clock at night. Nobody's there. And we're just going. They, you, they look at their security footage. And it's just the Clark Grand Marquis. Just <laughs> whoop, whoop. And so and we're just going through there over and over and over again to make sure we got the setup right. We see here in Daniel chapter 6, verse 1, it says, It pleased Darius. At this point, Darius, we've got, we've got a new king. It's not Nebuchadnezzar anymore. We've got a new king. Daniel's been there for a little while. Daniel's been serving. And it pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom. And with three administrators over, 
over them, one of them whom was Daniel. So Daniel is part of the elite three. So there's the king, and then there's three other people ruling the entire Babylonian kingdom, and Daniel is one of those three guys that's right there. And the satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now, Daniel and his people have suffered loss. They don't have their family anymore. They don't have their place anymore. But his job is to make sure the king doesn't suffer loss. What, he, what happened to him at the hands of the king, now he's supposed to make sure it doesn't happen to the king. Man, I tell you what, it's, it's, he, there's a place of forgiveness. And, and man, it just blows my mind what Daniel was able to do. It says that now Daniel was so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. His, his third of the kingdom did so well, the king finally was like, okay, we're going to change the structure. It's now going to be the king and then Daniel and then everybody else. Because Daniel did such an exceptional job. And at this, the administrators, now these guys who are fine with Daniel being a peer, are now going to have to answer to Daniel. Now Daniel is obviously is a guy who's going to do a great job. It's not that Daniel's hard to work for. It's not that, Daniel's gonna, that everything's going to go to pot. It's not that everything's going to fall apart. Daniel's going to do a good job. He's proven that. They're just jealous. They're just jealous. They just don't want to seem promoted. And at this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for <clears throat> charges against Daniel and his conduct of the government affairs. But they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. So he wasn't only just a good, honest guy. He also was a take care of business guy. Sometimes there are those who take care of business and they kind of take care of business for themselves too. And then there are those who are nice and, and, and they're, they're honest, but they're not always on the ball. They kind of let a few things slip through the cracks and everybody kind of is okay with it because they're such a good guy. But Daniel was this guy who took care of business and stayed on the ball. He was neither corrupt nor negligent. The way he thinks, just things just kept promoting in a hostile environment. The way he handled his day in and day out duties had him prosper in an environment where he should not have been able to prosper. There should have been a Babylonian in charge there. There should have been somebody who was a local rise up to that. But nobody else stepped up to it, and Daniel stepped up to it, and Daniel was the one that promoted further on. Folks, there is no place where we, there can, we, we can be put in such a hostile environment that our devotion to God and our service to God can't still shine and, and be distinguished among everything else. There's no place. I understand it feels like things are shifting right now, but if we will lean in and we'll learn some lessons from Daniel and from some of these, we can see that no matter how hostile the culture that gets, if we will just live our lives honoring God, I'm telling you, things will be set apart. Colossians 3, 23 says, Whatever you do, work at it heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing 
that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So here he is. He gets promoted. They can't find anything wrong with him, but they're still upset. So here's what they begin to do. They now realize that Daniel's devotion is to God. And here's where you will see that people will try to use your relationship with God against you. People will. If you've been this for any length of time, you've heard this. Oh, I thought you were a Christian. If you've been there for any length of time, a little bit open about your relationship with God, there'll be something you'll do, there'll be something that'll happen, and man, all of a sudden, somebody doesn't like it, and they'll begin to play the God card. Ooh, I thought you were a Christian. Now, maybe there's a place where you weren't being true to who you really are as a child of God, and maybe there's a point of, of, of repentance and change, and maybe it was an opportunity to shift, but a lot of times... It's just somebody trying to manipulate you and use the God thing against you. And, and I tell you what, one of the things that we, when Cutie and I entered ministry years and years ago, had not had kids yet. We were youth pastors and knew we wanted to have a, a bunch of kids. And so as we were uh, talking and discussing that, we didn't know seven, but we knew, you know, a bunch. And, and so... Um, my plan was five by the time we were 30. And so, and, um, but as we were talking about that, one of the things that we are aware of is this pressure that exists on preacher's kids. Um, and a lot of churches and a lot of places, especially in things that have a, a, a real strong structure, um, there's a place where, you know, a, a pastor gets hired and people look and, and put, this place of scrutiny on their children. And a pastor, a hired pastor of a, of a local church, is one of the few men who can have his job in jeopardy by the behavior of his children. It's true. It's true. Man, there are pastors all over our community, all over our community, who their entire family is under a microscope and they sit there and, and are, have all this pressure. And the same people that called them and said, hey, we want to hire you and we want you to be our pastor. All of a sudden, you begin to have a little bit of turmoil in your family, begin to have a little bit of tension in your family. Oh, you're out of here. And then there becomes this internal place of this, this dad or, or mother or whoever it is that's on staff begin to feel like for job security, be able to put this extra pressure on their children and begin to have them grow up in a way that is impossible. Impossible. Kids are going to make mistakes. Adults make mistakes. They're going to. And so we made a decision early on that said we're never, ever going to say, hey, remember, you're a pastor's kid. Never. We'll remind them they're a child of God. We'll remind them they've got a high calling on their life. We'll remind them that they're special and, and that God has something amazing for them and they need to make wise decisions based on that, but never from a place of self-preservation or some sort of pressure on our end. We've made an early decision. We would never, ever do that. 
And I think I can look at my kids and say, we've never had that conversation with you. We've never told you, hey, you better straighten up. You're our kid and people are looking at you. Never. Because it's impossible. And people, the enemy wants to begin to use it and create this place. And as soon as your relationship with God becomes a squeezing point, now all of a sudden anything that squeezes like that, you begin to resent. And the last thing I ever wanted was my children to resent God. If I was going to raise up anybody, I know if I'm called to make disciples of anybody, my first calling is my family. And if I can't make disciples of my own family, I've got no business standing up here trying to lead you as a pastor. But I can't then take my responsibility to lead you as a pastor and undercut my calling as a dad. I can't. So I have to keep everything in a place of priority and be able to do that. And then I'm telling you, this pressure, it'll show up in so many different ways. See, we live under a place of where grace teaches us, grace enables us, grace empowers us to be able to live lives differently. Now let's look at Daniel. Daniel chapter 5, it says, Finally, these men said, We will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel. Wow. We will never do it. They've kept him under a microscope. He's like, We're just never, he's, he's never going to mess up. We'll never find charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. If this has something to do with his God, he's faithful to his God, and that's where we can get him. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, and now they began to play the old classic, play to the, to the pride of an individual. May King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now your majesty, issue the decree and put it into writing so that it cannot be altered. This is the linchpin right here. In accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. According to their system, as soon as the king put it in, he couldn't change it. Now even the king was powerless to make a change. If it was put into writing according to the laws of the Medes and the Persians, this is done. Well, the king gets wrapped up in his own glory. The king gets wrapped up in his own in this thing, and for the next 30 days, everybody's halting, praying to everything else, and just prayers are going to be thrown up to him. And he says, sounds good to me. So King Darius put the decree into writing. They saw that Daniel was such a man of integrity, and the only place that there was going to be a place of tension was if there was a tension between him serving God and him honoring the law. Because as long as he was able to serve God and respect the law of the land, he respected the law of the land. But as soon as the law of the land said that he couldn't honor his God anymore, he adhered to his relationship with God. Folks, you and I, as long as the law of the land says and doesn't come in into 
conflict with our relationship with God, then we should honor it. Now, guess what? We're in a nation that we are it's a, of the people, by the people we vote. So we have a voice in our laws. So you get to have a voice. If you have an opinion, you get to have the right to share that opinion. Let your people who your elected officials know, you get, to, you get the right to do that. But as far as honoring what's already been put on the books, already is in force, then Daniel shows us that guess what? We ought to honor them. But as soon as something makes serving our God illegal, it is like, nope, I'm sorry, I'm going with God here. I'm going with God here. John chapter 15, verse 18 says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but you have chosen, <clears throat> but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. The world hated Jesus. So it's kind of natural. We're going to find ourselves in hated places when we align ourselves with the one who was hated first. But we still have to be able to play, walk in a place of love and honoring. See, the truth is, is that choosing to follow God isn't always easy, but he is always with us. It isn't always easy, but he's always with us. Remember the story of uh, Weston when he was uh, four years old. And um, we were uh, doing some backyard cleanup. And so I give, try to give them age-appropriate jobs as the family's doing things. And there were some small sticks and some piles of leaves that I needed a little, little four-year-old to be able to clean up. And so I took Weston over and said, hey, I need you to take all these sticks and I need you to get this stuff and I need you to go into the alley. Um, and he looks at him and he's like, all of it? I'm like, all of it. And so I leave him to his job. I'm doing something else in the backyard and he's doing his thing. And I look over and there's Weston looking at the sticks, praying. And he's praying over his sticks. Didn't know if he was praying over them to, to go away, if he was wanting them to God to pick them up and translate them into the backyard. I didn't know what his prayer was, but I saw him praying over his sticks. And so I walk over to Weston. I was like, Weston, I see you praying. What are you praying? Dad, I'm praying that I'll obey. I'm like, good boy. Good boy. And guess what? He picked up the sticks and he got them into the, he got them into the alley. But there are times, there are times when the, when, the, when the things in front of us that we just don't want to do them, they're difficult, it's hard. And I was thankful that at four years old, he knew he could talk to God. Dad's going to be a little irrational about this. He's already decided this has to happen. I'm going to go to my advocate, my heavenly father, and say, help me with this thing. And, and there's a place where we need to understand that, yes, sometimes, are, sometimes things are difficult. But God is always, always with us. Daniel chapter 6, verse 10 it says, And now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he knew what it meant. When he learned the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. And three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. He finds out that he's supposed to, he will be thrown in the lion's den 
if he prays to anybody but God, I mean, but to the king. So if he does his normal prayer routine, he's going to be thrown. And the thing he does immediately is go home to pray to his God. Immediately. He immediately goes home, does what he always does, doesn't try to hide it, has his windows open, and sits there, and he prays to God. Says, and, and then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. Here he is praying, violating the decree, asking God to help him in the middle of that. He understood that, no, it's not always easy, but God is with him. No, things aren't always easy for us, but God is, is with us. Daniel chapter 6, verse 14, then the king figures out he's been played. And this isn't in your notes, but it says, but when the king had heard this, he was greatly distressed and he was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Here's the problem. He had put it in law, according to the the Medes and Persians. The king was powerless, the most powerful man on the planet because of the way their system worked was powerless. And now he did everything he could to try to save Daniel. But he had played the fool in that plot against his number one guy. And verse 16 says, so the king gave the order. Do it. Stick him in there. And they brought Daniel and they threw him into the lion's den. And then the king said to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. I think the king just violated his own decree. He's talking to Daniel when he's throwing up a prayer. He's like, I'm talking to Daniel. But may the king whom you serve, sounds like a prayer to me, protect you. He got duped, but the king knew who the real God was. He knew he was no God and that nobody needed to be praying to him. That there was a place that, that Daniel's integrity and Daniel's honesty would be honored by the God he served. And the, and the king says, may your God whom you serve continually serve you. And then verse 18 says, then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating, without any entertainment being brought to him. And he could not sleep. In the first light of dawn, he had to spend a night in the lion's den. Under normal circumstances, there would be nothing left. But he made it night. He was officially, he was thrown in. And as soon as it could be called a new day, he goes out at first light. The king goes out at first light. He doesn't send somebody. He could have sent a servant. The king himself, the most powerful man in the land, gets up and goes to check on Daniel. The king got up. And he hurried to the lion's den. And when he came near, this is in your notes, when he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you have served continually been able to rescue you from the lions? And Daniel answers, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel 
and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done anything wrong before your majesty. All of a sudden here in this place where there's made no sense that he would be able to survive in a place of certain death, man, he was able to just hang out with the big cats. He was just able to just chill. He was just able to rest. He was able to be in a place and survive where it should not have been able to survive. And they go and they get him out. All these years later, as soon as in church world you say Daniel, everybody immediately says, and the lion's den. As soon as you say Daniel, it's in the lion's den. Immediately. So here's this thing that was sent to take him out that is actually this place where we understand which Daniel you're talking about. Which Daniel? Oh, Daniel in the lion's den. Yeah, okay, yeah, that, I, know, I know who you're talking about. See, the thing is, is that the lions in our lives can actually become our legacy. The struggle, the thing that was sent, the enemy sent to take us out can actually become our legacy. That's who we talk about. We talk about that. There's, Daniel did a lot of cool stuff. There's a lot of other things in the book of Daniel. But the one that stands out was the fact that he honored God and he lived through an impossible situation. The things that the enemy sends to set you up is actually can set you up for your legacy to what? To the miracle people remember the most. The thing that most points people to God. And then on the back side of this, we see immediately because the king sees what he had been played. Those who had set Daniel up, actually the king, he throws them into the lion's den. And their whole plan backfires. He has to have a whole new staffing for all his senior leadership because he chunks them in. And then he makes a decree and he sends it out and makes it public. And he says, all right, I, I need the entire nation to know and to understand this. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves and he performs signs and wonders. The king is preaching, people. The king is preaching. This, uh, this is because of what he had witnessed in Daniel's life. He performs signs and wonders in the heaven and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. And so Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the next king, King Cyrus. He prospered during those times because Daniel was a man of integrity. John 16, 33 says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Our bottom line today is this, that when you walk with God, You never walk alone. You never walk alone. You may look alone, but you are never, ever alone. God is so for us. He is so for us. He is so with us that we can walk out and pursue and run with perseverance the race marked out for us. We can. We can. We can. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.